a podcast about amazing people from an incredible state. Amazing Arizonans with Mike Broomhead. Another edition of Amazing Arizonans, and this one, one of my favorites, Derek Hall, president of the Diamondbacks. D. Hall, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. Um, There is so much I want to talk to you about, Uh, really so much. Uh, I told a story where at an event recently. I don't even know if you remember telling me that story, but the impact. So I want to start there Okay. because you were in studio with me once, and you just offhanded told a story about how you were taught a lesson on giving. Yeah. Will you tell that story? Absolutely, I will. So back when I was working for the Dodgers. Who? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, our owner at the time, Peter O'Malley, we were in the middle of a, a workplace campaign, like you would see with like United Way, some of these campaigns where everybody's supposed to give. And I had just been hired by the Dodgers. It was my entry-level position. I think I was making like 17000 a year or something. And he's riding his bike at Vero Beach, Dodger Town. And he stops, and I didn't even think he knew who I was. And he says, uh, you know, Mr. Hall, he says, I was just looking – at the list of those given to our campaign, I realized you're not giving anything. And I said, well, Mr. O'Malley, with all due respect, and I'm like a ghost. I'm scared. With all due respect, I said, I don't make that much. And without skipping a beat, he said, then don't give that much. And it was a, such a point that, that has stuck with me. It was give something. If you can, if you have money, give money. If you don't, give your time, volunteer, but give something. And it's a lesson that I've taught to you know our staff, to my family, to our kids. And it's something we live by. Give something all the time. That – I think that told me the story because I admired you for you live that now. I mean, you, now you run a baseball team. You got a lot more flexibility in what you can do. But with the Diamondbacks and Diamondback charities, but you personally, you make that a way of life. And I think that's such an incredible thing to remember now that you've gotten to the position you're in. I, I appreciate it because, you know, you do the same. I mean, you give so much back to the community. I watch you. You're out there all the time. You're giving back to causes. You're you're emceeing. You're volunteering. You do that. And so I appreciate what you do even more so but you know we understand our our social responsibility we know we have to give back and if we can be positive contributing members of the community why wouldn't we we're on the stage we're on a platform and you know this 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 organization we've only been around 25 years and we've given over 80 million dollars back to the community so it's really it's ownership it's players it's coaches it's all of our staff everybody appreciates what we do in the community more than anything we we don't have control over the wins and losses on the field or the bad luck with injuries what we do control is what we're doing in the community the impact we can make? My kids and my grandkids live out in Buckeye. Yeah. And right next to the neighborhood that my grandkids live in is the Craig Council Little League field. Yeah. And so that is just such an example of what Diamond, the Diamondbacks have done in partnership with communities that is such a living legacy to keep the sport alive, but to give kids in a place where there really isn't much to do a really safe place to do stuff. It's so cool to have you know over 40 of those fields throughout all of Arizona, not just here in Phoenix, but throughout all of and we're the Arizona Diamondbacks. We try and give to every corner of this great state. Um, but but to see those fields and then little things that we've done over the years that, are, that have become very big, but making sure that nearly every Little League player is wearing a D-backs jersey now, right, and a D-back, D-backs cap. When we went to all of the Little Leagues and softball leagues and asked what their biggest concern was, biggest challenge, biggest hurdle, Nearly every director said the cost of uniforms. And so we said, we're going to take those away from you. We went ahead and provided all those jerseys for the kids, all the caps, and for the coaches as well. They were then able to take that money and that savings and either waive entry fees for families that couldn't afford it or redo their fields or build concession stands. Now, you know, hopefully they're profitable and they're able to put that right back into their leagues. How great is it to see the transformation? I remember going to D-backs games. I was raised in Florida, so I got to watch the Marlins start. And then I watched the D-backs start. But to watch the transformation where it used to be, dad and mom show up with the kids – 
Kids are wearing right. D-backs jerseys. Parents are using wearing the jerseys where they came from. Yeah. And now you're seeing entire families because of the longevity. We are seeing families wearing the D-back stuff. How cool is that? Yeah, it's so cool. You got it. You're exactly right. And so I was also in Florida when the Marlins started. You know, I was there in Vero Beach when you were there, and and I watched that come to life. And of course, where they played was a challenge, right? And they ultimately got their own ballpark. And they've now been there long enough, much longer than us, where where they do have that full generation. You know, who who didn't know any other team. So I remember when I first got here, we even saw at the time, and it's been 20 seasons for me, but I would look down on the concourse from my office and I would see just that. We had so many Dodger fans, Giants fans, Cubs fans that that moved here or lived here already. And of course, they were Dodger fans who listened to Vince Scully or they were Giants fans because of spring training and the AAA team. But I would look down and I would see still, you know, the parents wearing the visitors' team jerseys and even the kids wearing the visiting team jersey because, you know, they, sure. they were growing up in the same family and same household and fan base. And then, maybe five, ten years later, I started to see the switch. It was the parents wearing the other jersey, like you were saying, holding hands with kids wearing D-backs jerseys. Now, you're seeing full families wearing nothing but D-backs. It is, it is awesome, the transformation you refer to. I was just at an elementary school speaking to some kids for career day. And a couple of the kids wearing sun's gear. And this one kid was just decked out in D-back stuff. And they were all asking me, hey, who have you ever met? And when I told them that I, had, I knew Luis Gonzalez... Yeah. This kid's face looked like I had met Elvis Presley. Wow. That Somebody for, under the age of 70 knew Gonzo? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. The longevity of his career. Isn't he, that great for him? He, he's the best. I, I'm lucky that he works with me. I won't even say for me. He works with me. Gonzo will do anything we ask, and, and he has – He's the most genuine person. He is the kindest person. He he cares about everybody. I mean, this guy loves this team, loves this valley, loves the state. He's real. I mean, mm-hmm. he is real. When you look at the Mount Rushmore of, of Arizona sports, and you know, you got Fitz, and you got, you know, you got Shane Doan, and you got Gonzo. We're lucky, right? Yeah. And, and when with basketball, you've got somebody to choose from. But we are so lucky to have those guys, and they're all alike. Like those yeah. three are all alike, and they're all buddies too. And it's just, it's cool. I haven't Gonzo around every day, and I, I tease with him you know his he's my special advisor senior advisor um but i i had cards made once and we changed his title to senior director of lunch because i said he would come in in the morning he would decide where we were going to lunch we'd go to lunch and he'd go home you know so we called him the senior director of lunch that's, but pretty, he'll be, that's a great gig <laughs> it's a good gig <laughs> no, but now he's there all day i mean he sits in the box with me calms me down when i'm fired up and getting upset during games and he's just you know he's been there right he's lived it and, and his kid now is playing double a baseball for the pirates organization so to watch him now live through his kid, and, you know, it's, it's special. I, I can't wait. I hope his kid makes it to the big leagues because that will be his proudest moment. As great a career as Gonzo's had, all he cares about is his family, his triplets. And Isn't his, that amazing? You're talking about Doan. Doan's in the same, same position thing. with his kid. and with I, a great I just, hockey player. I just saw Shane, and he was talking about how happy he is for his son after the career he's had. So yeah. with Gonzo, all they want to talk about is how successful they want it's their the kids greatest. to be. It's the greatest. Yeah, yeah. Doan so good. And, and obviously, selfishly, I hope the Coyotes stay here. Me too. I can't imagine, you know, like, would Shane Doan stay here, right? I would hope so, right? He yeah. lives here. It's his, it's his home. but. We need we need a team for guys like Donor and for the fans that, that still follow this team and support this team, even when they're playing in, in smaller crowds at ASU. This, this city deserves – I know we got off topic here. But no, our, I'm great. This city deserves – the, the you know the all the big league sports we really do and and we've proven we can support them all and that vote was a shame but I think it was more political than a statement towards the Coyotes or mm-hmm. hockey or sports and uh, you know hopefully we can turn the page and find a solution for them just like we're trying to find one. 
How did you get to Arizona, and when when did you move here? So I got to Arizona way back when in college. I was actually uh, going to go to one of the military academies. I had the appointment for uh, West Point and for um, Colorado Springs. And at the last minute, I changed my mind because I was going to go to West Point. I changed my mind, and I decided to go to ASU, right? My father liked to kill me when I made that decision. I I know, I know. Similar institution. So so I kind of freaked out, and I was like, yeah, you know, it was kind of my dad's dream for me to either work in baseball, right? He loved baseball. He was an All-American catcher in the state of Arkansas, or, uh, you know, to to be a general in the Army, right? He's like, you're a leader. You're going to be a general. And so at the last minute, I'm like, wait a minute. You know, this is my dream, right? And I love baseball, so I wanted to find a way to get into baseball. So I went to Arizona State. Uh, which was the greatest thing I could have done. And I met my wife there. She's from Tucson. We started dating our freshman year. We've been married over 31 years. And and then I went to go work for the Dodgers, and I was in L.A. The franchise came to life here in 98. So we would come out here and play the play the Diamondbacks, and I would sit on the other side and just think, man, how do I get back here, right? How do I get back to this place? It feels like home. And and I always love this. I love the state. I love the city. I love my school. Um, and fortunately, I was able to come back in, in 04 and um, been here ever since, and it's been it's been great. I mean, we've built a culture. You know about our culture. Yeah. It, it is family. It is innovation. It is it's recognition. It's find a way to say yes. Fotsy on the on the buttons of all of our game day staff. I love what we what we're building and continuing to build, and now we're doing it on the field too. So when you go to schools, you know you don't have kids kind of hiding in shame because they're embarrassed by the way the D backs are playing. Like right now, that hey, this team's pretty good. Right. You know, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna watch this team. I'm gonna go follow. It's been it's been awesome. Why not broadcasting? What about you and broadcasting? Because I am so jealous of the way you do things. Oh, come uh, on. The tee-off luncheon, I've been invited a couple of times. We have mutual friends. I have some friends that are Thunderbirds. And uh, Tim Woods, I've Woods, been a guest. The best. I've been a guest of Tim Woods uh, a few times. And um, I watched you interview Michael Phelps. Yeah. I watched you interview Condoleezza Rice. She was really good. And what they were excellent, but you're amazing. I mean, you know when to be funny. You know when to be serious. You ask great questions. I mean, how do you do you not have a background in that? I, I did it. I did it for one year. So I don't have a background in it. But I was in L.A. It was our third or fourth ownership change. And it was getting tiring, right? Exhausting all the ownership changes. And so the radio station, our flagship station, All Sports, came to me and asked if I wanted to host a morning drive show. And I thought, you know, I've never done it. It's a number two market. Why not? So I did that, um, which was which was tough because you're going up against all those L.A. you know radio shows and Rick D's and Howard Stern and Morning Drive. But but it, you know we had we had some ratings. And then Fred Rogan, who was the uh, NBC sportscaster, asked me if I would fill in on weekend sports. So I started doing some anchoring on NBC, and it was a lot of fun, but it wasn't baseball. So I did it for less than a year and couldn't wait to get back to to the Dodgers. I did as a senior VP and then ultimately you know, left them and came here. But I, I enjoyed it, but I, I would rather sit back and listen and watch you than, huh. than, than prep and do it myself. Um, and, and I didn't think I was I was very good. But I think it did help me so that in these, these scenarios or having the chance to be on stage with these guys. And the opportunity at the tee-off luncheon, I mean, it, you're right. It was. I think the first one was Phelps. Second one was was Peyton Manning, who was unbelievable. I had uh, Kirk Herbstreet after that, Condoleezza Rice, and then George W. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to be able to interview George W. Bush, right? And he, and uh, just before we came on, and you had mentioned, he said, wow, you, you've lost some weight. I, I have, and I'll probably, you know, gain it right back. But actually, one of the reasons I decided, man, I got to do something. I didn't realize I was, I was, you know, heavier than I'd been for a long time. But I'm on stage with George, 
And uh, I get to just this, you know, firing of questions at the end. I'm like, we're almost out of time. He had just had back surgeries on medication, so I knew I had to get him off stage. So I'm just rattling off, boom, boom, boom. And one of them was, you know, Mr. President, look, you in the White House, you could get whatever you want, anytime. What was your late-night snack, your go-to? And, and George says, I didn't do late-night snacks. And he looked at me and says, I didn't want to get pudgy. Right? And he calls me pudgy, right? So everybody starts laughing. He goes, I'm not saying you're pudgy, but their laughter is confirming it. Right? He starts laughing like, man, I got to do something. But having him, and then at the end of that interview, he got up, you know, and he, and, he, and he kissed me on the cheek and big hug. And then I saw him at owners' meetings about a month later in New York. And, uh, you know, he, he sits down, the commissioner's interviewing him, and he looks out. He goes, hey, my friend from Arizona. You know, just it's so cool to have that opportunity. Were you surprised at how genuine he is as a human oh. being? Unbelievable! Right? I got to spend some time with him on I a number of occasions. Said, yeah, and you I was, even went up and during his campaign. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so as we were back when it was called Bank One Ballpark, yeah. I emceed that event in That's in two thousand four. Awesome. And but I got to spend some time with him, and it was like you're looking into the face of the president, but at the same time, he seems like a type of guy that you could invite over for a beer and totally. he'd say yes, and he would, and he, he would. would, yeah, and and you would sit down and have beer with him, and we've all been able to as at, at the owners' meetings. But he is so genuine, down to earth, humble. And, and he's just like anybody's father and now anybody's grandfather, but, you know, looks the same, acts the same. He's he's awesome and, and so easy to talk to. I want to get back to that in a minute because I, want, I think there are, some in, there are some very important moments I want to talk to you about. But I want to talk – I don't want to skip over the Thunderbirds. Okay. Um, I knew of the golf tournament. I had been a little bit, but I didn't know anything about the Thunderbirds. I didn't know what the Thunderbirds do. I didn't know any of that until I got to be friends with with Tim Woods and with some yeah, other people. What a what a tournament director he was. He was. Yeah. He um, was phenomenal. But how amazing it is that a bunch of type A personalities yeah. and that you guys are all type A personalities. <laughs> Correct. Come together with a common goal and have raised millions of dollars for Arizona nonprofits. That's the best thing, right? And and there aren't many that we turn down. So I look at what we do with the D-backs Foundation and it's, you know, serving now as president on that board. Um, where I was vice president for years because Mike Kennedy was our first, and and Mike passed away recently, and uh, so that was those are big shoes to fill. But the same thing, being able to to take care of organizations, there aren't many we turn down. And then I got to serve on the Thunderbird Charity Board for a two or three year term, and it it was awesome. And and you realize how much you're able to do, and the big checks you're able to write. But you're you're exactly right because when you have a group of guys that come together, actives, life members who are from all walks of life, all different companies, all different industries. You've got bankers, you've got surgeons, you've got a lot of real estate brokers. You know, you have people with big jobs. Former vice presidents. Former vice presidents as well, correct, and, and former congressmen. And so this group comes together, and at the end of the day, all they care about doing is putting on the greatest show on grass, yes. and they do. But more importantly, raising money to be able to write checks at the end of the year and just trying to surpass every year. We want to do better than we did the year before. I really need to know, though, what was it like knowing Doug Ducey yeah. before he was Governor Ducey? Well, yeah, so I've known him a long time, right? When I was at school, he was at school, and he was Doug was Doug was already he was big man on campus back then, right? Because he was the Bud Rep, and if you got that job and you were the Budweiser Rep in college, you were you were probably the most popular <laughs> guy in school, right? And we had rival fraternities across the street from each other. But I, I've known Doug a long time. We're both in YPO Forum together, so we we tell each other in a small group of eight or nine, you know, our, our deepest darkest secrets and 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 help each other out of all situations. Situations, both personal and professional. 
And, and when he was making that decision to run for treasurer, we were all a big, big part of that, or I think we were. He probably already had his mind made up. But I was so glad that he did it and how good he got. You know, he was – Doug is such a smart guy, and, and he's got – ethics and morals and integrity and i think he governed that way too you know and, and he a two-term governor he was very popular wildly popular and a lot of people wanted him to run for other offices and, and go for senate and he just you know he's holding to his guns we'll see where he's going to go next but i think sky's the limit for doug and you know i mean i i wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to be senator he could be if he wanted to run for vice president or president one day i think he'd have a pretty good shot of doing it he is very smart he cares about people and he sticks to his guns. And I was hearing through sources because for those – the reason why I brought it up, he's a Thunderbird. Yeah. That even when he was governor, he was still showing up at meetings. He, he was. was still, I mean, he wasn't that – was, that's the thing I admire about your organization is that everybody is sold out for the right reasons. It's not just to wear the tunic. It's what you do when you wear the tunic. So, so Doug was showing up, right? Governor Ducey, he was governor, and Governor Ducey was still going to the meetings. And not only that, he decided the Open is so important. I'm trying to attract all these businesses, all these companies to come from California to pick us over Texas and over Nashville. And so he would use – the open as as a as a, as a ground, so he would set up you know a, in the usually family pavilion, big family pavilion, bring in all these prospective companies that were thinking about moving here, and just show them a good time. And a lot of them he was able to convert because of that. He did it with the Super Bowl when he was here as well. He's very smart and he used he knows how popular sports are, and you can get them to come to these events. But he's a great Thunderbird. I want to talk about some of those significant things in sports. We just were talking about President Bush. Yeah. Let's talk about that first pitch, what you saw in that. Ooh. Because a after getting to talk to him, the fact that the D-backs were in that World Series is one thing. But that pitch meant so much to this country. Not baseball, to the country. Yeah. Can you explain there, your feelings about it? Right. Well, there were two, in my opinion, two of the greatest first pitches I've ever witnessed. The first, number one by far, is, is President Bush because of the impact of 9-11 that year, how important it was. Uh, of course, the World Series, the Diamondbacks in their first, and, and the Yankees. To be back there at Yankee Stadium and for everybody to be on there, you get chills just thinking about it again. And not only did he just toss it over, right? And he's out there, and he's got a bulletproof vest underneath his president's zip-up jacket. He throws a strike, and he probably threw it. I mean, he had he had some adrenaline going. I wouldn't be surprised if a radar would have caught it at 80 or 85 miles per hour. I mean, it was a strike. It was perfect. And then to have, you know, both managers come out and just embrace him and for him to look up at the crowd and the crowd to go crazy, it was a, it was a it was it was as good a moment of American pride, US pride as I can ever recall. Did he tell you the story about Derek Jeter yeah. in the tunnel? That's one of the best stories because that's again such a significant moment for the country. It's but so when good. he tells the story, it's so self-deprecating. So good, right? And, and so anytime someone's going to throw out a first pitch, you find yourself saying that, right? You, you always say, hey, don't bounce it. You better go out That's to the mound. what you did to me. I did it to you. And I said, don't bounce it. You better go out to the mound, too. Don't just go short. Well, they wouldn't let me out on I the know, mound. I know. I wasn't allowed on you, the mound. You had to stay on the grass. I had to stay on the grass. I know. I know. So, but you always say it, like I said to you. And you just don't think you would say it to the president. And so Derek Jeter then says, don't bounce it, right? You better not bounce it. But he throws a strike. The second one was before our 07 uh, playoff series with Milwaukee here. We ended up having Max Ashton, his dad, who I also knew in college, runs Foundation for Blind Children. This is his last year. He's going to retire. His son, Max, is blind. And he had just, yeah, I think he had just hiked Mount Kilimanjaro. But we had him out for first pitch for, for that game, for our first home game in that series. And here's Max, who's legally blind. And his father walks him out and, and puts him right where he should be on the mound. And then basically the catcher makes a noise. 
and Max throws a strike, and the place because you know it's a playoff game. We already had probably forty forty five thousand in their seats because they didn't want to miss the anthem, the flyover, yeah. you know, the first pitch. And I've never heard the the stadium so loud. The other time was Archie Bradley's triple in in the wild card game against the Rockies, but that crowd went crazy for this this kid who threw a perfect strike. I want. There's one more. Okay. Tyler Maldivan. Yo. Officer yeah, Maldivan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can I how can I yeah, that's that's on my list now. Thank <laughs> because I was not at the game. Yeah. But I cried when I watched it. Awesome. That guy, what strength in that family. Oh. And f- whose idea was that to invite Tyler? How did that happen? It it was it was my idea. Um so we were deciding because first pitch for opening day is a big one. And you know, you sit around and you you throw around ideas and and the ones that I heard were you know, and even my ideas, they weren't so great. And I'm sitting there at night uh, before we made the decision the next morning. And I came up with like three ideas and they were, okay, we're opening up with the Dodgers. It's uh, Fernando Valenzuela is going to have his number retired this year. He's so popular, especially, you know, from Mexico with our Latino fans. Does it make sense to have Fernando throw out the first pitch and, and explain that he's going to have a two day recognition? Probably not, though, because it's a, it's a Dodger, right? But, yeah. but it's Fernando, Fernando Mania. Um, but that was one. The second was Greg Schulte because it's his final year as, mm-hmm. as the voice of the D-backs, and, and that one would have made a lot of sense, too. And we'll, he'll have his day. And then the third, I'm, I'm sitting at home thinking, okay, who really deserves it in the Valley? Who's been through more? Than, and it was, it was Officer Maldivan. And when we went to, to his family and asked, uh, you know, his wife cried and anyway we we've become very close with the family and we've we've uh helped them with season tickets for the rest of the year they're coming out now and it was just it was awesome isn't that a really in the end what we love about sports is that overcoming and that storyline of a police officer and i don't know how much of the detail you know about when he was shot but the severity and the brutality that was put out against him yep nobody that i knew thought he was going to make nobody it. thought he was going to survive and here he is standing up and throwing out a first pitch at a diamondbacks game. and and he had not really stood up to to uh, especially when he was practicing his pitch so he did it as a surprise to his family so he let us know and his wife let us know he's going to shock his family because he's going to stand up for the first pitch and when he stood up i guess his his family just lost it you know as you can imagine but i you know i got to give credit to the dodgers too when we were telling the story the, almost their entire lineup came out and you know hugged him and, and shook his hand. And Mookie Betts was out in the outfield stretching and ran in to tell him how much they appreciated him. And, of course, our team did. Um, that is what sports is about. That's what baseball is about, too. It's just awesome. And that's I think that when I'm such a sports fan because I coached for so long. It's about teaching young people life lessons. But even when they're professionals, I think a lot of those life lessons still exist. They do. Yeah, without a doubt. I think you're right. And and there's something about a team sport too, right? Um you rely on each other. You 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 know, you back each other, you pick each other up. It's different if you're just on the tennis court alone or you're on the golf course alone, I mean, or bowling. I mean, but when you are in a group setting like that, and especially baseball where you have nine guys, and baseball's so unique. It's, you know, it's the only sport where the defense controls the ball, right? It's a, the only sport where I think the All-Star game really means something and matters, right? And it's 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 not just a an exhibition game, it's real. Look at the WBC, what it did. It's like World Cup soccer, I think is the same way. But where the WBC went this year, I mean, we weren't expecting it to have the success it did. I mean, Mike, this at WBC when we had USA and Mexico, and there were you know forty eight thousand fans at Chase Field, and all the noisemakers and and the music and the festivities with the the Mexican fans. It was 
awesome. I mean, we had $100 million of economic impact on the city that we weren't expecting to have. That's what that's what team sports are about. Those are life lessons. And when you're playing for the name of your country right. on the front of your jersey, it's totally different. How do you, in Major League Baseball, how do you take and bottle what happened at the World Baseball yeah. Classic? And not and I it's think I still question. love Major League Baseball, but th- that you're right. That feeling that you get, that patriotism. How do you, as the president of the Diamondbacks, say we want those fans feeling that way about the diva? That's a great question. So what did it, right? What made it so special and so energetic and so alive? I think it was the music and the energy. And so our staff, you know, our communication staff, our game entertainment staff, they came back and said, let's do that. So we now have DJ booths and we have DJs at the ballpark, which we never had in the past. I know, you know, the organ has always been a big part of baseball, but there's got to come a point where you either balance it or tilt towards a little more lively music, right? We're trying to get kids to really love baseball and, and, and enjoy their time there. So we have much more music, much more noise, much more energy than we had in the past. I've spent a lot of time watching baseball in the Dominican, and it is it's loud, it's energetic. Players have personality. We always shunned, you know, the player oh, yeah. that would have the bat flip, right, or show personality. Mm-hmm. We're now encouraging it. And so it took me and 29 other presidents and CEOs to say, we're okay with it, right? And I was never in favor of that in the past. You know, I'd be really? like, oh, yeah, I would, you, you put your head down, you run, right? Like Gonzo. You ask Gonzo about it, he's like, I can't believe we're doing that today. Well, even he's okay with it now. You've got to show personality. You have to like the players, and it, it's okay. It works. But that's what it was. What makes WBC? What makes Japan baseball? It's noisemakers. It's music. Music, it's horn sections. The visiting teams take their own band. Same thing in Mexico. It's awesome. So if we take that approach and and let it become a part of our experience here, we're going to be much better for it. It's funny you say that because I am a big college football fan. I, I like the NFL. I, yeah. I love the NFL. But I'm a college because of that atmosphere in a college stadium. I'm a Miami Hurricane. It's amazing, right? And but you look at. They call the NFL the no fun league. Yeah. And a lot of times it's because of the strict rules and your socks got to match and everything has to be cookie cutter and you can't do this and excessive celebration. I think the fans crave it. They do. And that's where we used to be. We wouldn't allow you couldn't have your own, uh, you know, your own colors. You couldn't wear batting gloves that were different colors. You couldn't have cleats or spikes that were different. Now you can have individuality. Thank goodness. Right. We've got a pitcher, Dre Jameson, who wears Scooby-Doo, you know, spikes. And yesterday he wore red, white and blue, you know, for Memorial Day, which was great. Let them let them do that. You know, and I'll have fans who will write me and say, why do you let Cattell Marte and uh, Geraldo Perdomo wear yellow shin guards and yellow batting gloves, and I would write back, "Well, why not? Yeah. Right? They like it, and it accessorizes, and the kids like it, and why not?" So it, it is taking some education, and, and baseball is so old school, and it's such a traditionalist sport. So it takes fans a little longer to get there, but I think once they get there and they accept it, like the new rules, they see it's good for the game. But the atmosphere is different. You, one of the reasons why I grew up, I was very lucky. Grew up in Florida, spring training, Grapefruit League. The Kansas City Royals are my hometown when they won the World Series before they left and went somewhere else. But now in my hometown, we've got the Twins and the Red Sox. Yeah, It's a great place for baseball. It's, it's awesome. But the atmosphere here in Arizona for spring training oh. is the kind of atmosphere you want in the stadium during the regular season. It's you, more access to the players. It's a lot more personal with the players, and you guys do such a great job of it in spring training as well. Is that what you're trying to translate into? Because it's a bigger building, but you still want that intimate feeling, right? 100%, right. The way we designed Salt River Fields was uh, with that in mind. So being in Vero Beach with the Dodgers all those years, 
it was an old naval base that they turned yeah. into Dodger Town, and fans could walk with the players from field to field or over to Holman Stadium. You're walking with the players. Some some greats over the years, obviously, right? Some of the greatest players of all time. They were okay with it, and it, it let that fan base feel like, oh man, I know, you know, I know Duke Snyder, I know Steve Garvey, I know Steve Yeager, I know Fernando, I know Sandy Koufax, and so to build that at Salt River Fields, where fans can walk right up to the backstop and they can walk up to the rail and get autographs, and our players are really good about it. And I encourage our players sign autographs, take pictures every day. Uh, our staff does a good job of that. And when we see them doing it, we'll send a card down, you know, on their chair and say, "Hey, we noticed you've been you've been taking time to sign autographs." When they're not. You still send that down going, I notice you've been taking time to sign autographs. And they go, ooh, I haven't. I better get out there. But that's exactly what we're trying to do, and you want it to carry over because spring training is so popular, and it's so easy in the Cactus League. Grapefruit League, I mean, we'd go on road trips. You'd have to leave at 5 I in the know, morning on a bus and go two hours away, right, play, and then come back. You don't get back till 10 o'clock at night. Here, the furthest you go is 45 minutes, right? Yep. So you come down to see your team. You get to go to every single place, and you want your place to be the best. You want fans from Milwaukee to come over and go, wow. The D-backs do it right. You know what? I'm going to come out when they play the Brewers this year at Chase Field because I want to see if they still do that. Is it generational with the players? I mean, I'm going to make the worlds collide here for a moment. I love going and watching the golf tournament yeah. and watching sometimes the older players. Is there really golf going on? That's it. Yeah. That's the thing <laughs> is watching the older players not necessarily as thrilled about the crowds, yeah. but to watch the younger players. They embrace it. I was watching, um, was on 16, and was watching, and Ricky Fowler had about a 20-foot putt for birdie on 16. And they're holding up the placards, and everybody's quiet. And Fowler looked at the crowd like, What's wrong with you? Where people? are you? Yeah, Come let's on. go. Yeah. And so the younger players seem like they were embracing it. Is it the same way in baseball, like you were saying, Gonzo didn't like the bat flip and the stuff? Yeah. Is it trying to convert the older players to understand that this is what this is where the game's going? To- totally. Because you'll hear, and it's natural, right? With any sport, and especially in baseball, you'll hear, oh man, this sport has changed so much. You know, when the final out takes place, we would then get started as a family. We would sit down in the family dining room or in the uh, player dining room, and we'd sit there and, and have a couple of beers and talk for the next three or four hours before we went home. Now these guys just shower and they get out. It takes time, right? Now they're realizing, okay, this younger generation, they do have passion. They do have energy. By the way, they probably prepare better than they did, right? They play better than they did. You change hear that a lot. Change is good sometimes. Change I is mean, good. John Cruck used to smoke in the dugout. Right. Let's say this right. changes You had managers that did too, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, change is good. And I think these guys today, they work so hard. I mean, they get to the ballpark really early. They leave their young families. They're working out in the weight room. They're, they're you know, I, I think they work out year-round, whereas they didn't in the past. So if they want to get home after a game, that's okay. I think the the older players or retired players are now starting to see that. And they also now are starting to become more a part of the organization, especially a young one like ours, to have guys like Randy Johnson and then like – uh, you know, Gonzo and J.J. Putz and Willie Bloom, because having those guys around is a really good thing, and they start to rub off on them. You know, they, they're saying, hey, that kid's got a great personality. I really like him. I love that guy. I love that guy. They didn't necessarily do that in the past. Not these guys. I'm saying in general. Retired players, they would stay away and say, hey, this young generation's not like mine. What does it mean to have a young team be able to interact with a Gonzo and a Randy Johnson, players that are world-class but also have a ring. It, it means it means a great deal, and you know they listen to them. And then having Gonzo now travel because he he does quite a bit of TV for us as well. Again, he'll do anything we ask. He'll do TV and radio. But to have him then be there to answer questions. I mean, there's been guys in the past. I won't name them, but they're going through hitting slumps. And on the road, they would go see Gonzo, like call him and say, "Can I come see you at midnight?" 
and go to his room and just pick his brain. You know, Gonzo's staying up till two or three talking, to, you know, trying to straighten them out. That's great. But Randy Johnson likes to go out. You talk about invaluable. He likes to go out to our minor league systems, our affiliates, and he will talk to the pitching staffs for an hour and say, here's how I prepared. Here's what I learned. Here's what you ought to think. And, and Randy's message is basically, every time I took the mound, I assumed that could be the last time I pitched. And I gave it my all. And, and you know, every time you take the ball, you should feel like this might be the last time I ever put on a uniform or ever get to go out to the mound. And that's the mentality. But for him to be able to tell you that, and he's a Hall of Famer, arguably the greatest left-hander of all time, it's amazing. It is amazing. And I think that, that those lessons, young players got to soak that stuff up. Yes. And no, be they better. To, sit in the, to be in the presence of greatness. It, so before we close this out, what do you want people to know about you? I mean, you represent the Diamondbacks. We've talked about the Thunderbirds. But I've always been so impressed with the way you conduct yourself. Maybe that sounds weird to you, but I I I just – You know what I mean? What is it that people need to know about you personally? Because they see wins and losses. They see the D-backs that way and you that way as well. But what do they need to know? Well, you know, I'm lucky, but I think I'm a – I think I'm – a showcase for sticking to what you believe in and what you want to do. You always hear if you if you love what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life. And I feel like that, right? And I had people my entire life saying, "You're never going to work in baseball. You don't know anybody. You know, you know, you don't know an owner. You don't know a GM. You don't know. You're not going to work." And I would say, "No one's going to tell me what I can. I can't do." Uh, I went to Ohio University for sports administration, which was the oldest, really the first of its kind sports administration program. And I went and I interviewed. Um, I was. Out of 5,000 applicants, they only took 25, and I made it to the finals. I went back and told my wife we were living in a little apartment in Las Vegas at the time after we left ASU, and I said, hey, I got it. You know, let's pack up. We're moving to Athens, Ohio. And uh, two weeks later, after our whole place was boxed up, there it is. I got my letter in the mailbox from Ohio University. I tear it open, got denied. And so I said, well, I'm going to find a way to do this on my own. I went to the winter meetings in Miami, Florida at the Fountain Blue Hotel. And I'm in this career search room with 300 people just like me wearing a bad suit trying to get a job. And I was pretty depressed again. I said, I'm not doing this. I walked out to the lobby, and there was a a list of things going on, the calendar of events at the hotel. And one said, Ohio University Sports Administration uh, reception, alumni reception, suite 604. And I said, that's a party I'm going to crash. I went in, told the director, I think you made a mistake. You should have taken me. Let me tell you why. He said, come back. No guarantees. I did. Got it. Ended up getting my internship with the Dodgers. Became full-time. And I'm very lucky where I'm at, but it's just it's perseverance. It's believing in yourself. Don't let anybody tell you no. Um, and, and I think what's most important to me is my family. You know, I've got three adult kids. Uh, my wife and I have been together, as I said, you know, 31 years of marriage, almost, almost 35 years of, uh, I guess, more than that. Now 36 years we've been together. And that's first and foremost to me. And we spend more time at, at work than we do at home. That's my other family. I care more about our staff than than anything other than my my family at home. Um, I I take pride in their development. I take pride in their commitment and passion towards this sport and towards this organization. Well, I'm glad to see the D-backs playing as well as they are this year. You you deserve that kind of success. And to watch this team develop and grow has got to be fun. It's, It's not... It's not hired guns. These are yeah. people that you've developed, and so these your investment, and you're watching your investment pay off. That's pretty cool. That's the coolest thing is, you know, we've been building this for a while. We now have one of the best farm systems in all of baseball, and we didn't. We were like bottom two or three. Now we're top two or three. And, and to know, that's where you take the most pride. And when your fans are watching and they're saying, how is – 
you know, how is, uh, for example, Andrew Jones' kid doing, Drew Jones, and how is Lawler doing, and how's Jamison doing, and Walston, and they're watching our players, and they're proud of them. So when they come up here, they already have familiarity with them. That's what we did at the Dodgers for years, right? All those players were, were, were farmhands. They were all homegrown. When you had five consecutive rookies of the year, yeah. and it was, you know, Piazza and Karros and Mondesi and Hollinsworth and Nomo, that's that's when you take pride. Well, we're trying to do the same thing here, but there, there's nothing more rewarding than having your own guys go out there that you developed, that you either signed internationally or, or picked in the draft and developed them, and they're they're succeeding. Well, I can't thank you enough. I know you're a busy guy. To come down and do this means a lot, and I hope people learned a lot about you because uh, I know there's a lot to learn. So thanks for thank doing you. this. Anytime. You know that. I love being with you. You're the All best. Right. D. Hall in another edition of Amazing Arizonans. Thanks for watching. Discover more amazing Arizonans with Mike Broomhead at KTAR.com, the KTAR News app, or wherever you get your podcasts.